Hello and welcome to the Bharat Vartha Weekly. A very good morning to all of you. So we have a special guest uh, joining us today on this weekly. Uh, we have Prasanna Vishwanathan, who is the CEO of uh, Swaraja Magazine, joining us. Hi, Prasanna. How are you? Hi, Roshan. Wonderful to be back and uh, and also, you know, just taking this occasion to wish all all your listeners a very happy festival season and also oh, of course. Know, congratulate. Bharat Vartha, I think since the last time I was in the program, I think you guys have made immense program. So very, very happy to be associated and, uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on this show and also look forward to discussing with both you and Neerav, who I've followed very closely on social media, very thoughtful person as well. So Wonderful. Thank you so much, both of you. Yeah. Wonderful. Good to have you back, uh, Prasanna. I think the last uh, podcast we recorded was on uh, Tamil Nadu politics. Oh, yeah. and it was so <laughs> comprehensive. Correct. <laughs> but quite some time back. Yeah, uh, right. So, folks, I mean, if you haven't listened to it, I mean, do go back sometime. It's a very fascinating outlook into, you know, everything that's happening on the ground in Tamil Nadu. Um, we also have a regular guest, uh, Nirav Kanodra, joining us. Hey, Nirav, how are you? How are things in Singapore? All good, all good. Everything is same. Uh, gra- <laughs> uh, glad to be with Prasanna. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as usual, we'll run you through news and uh, views perspectives uh, of this week. Uh, a few few things made headlines uh, this week. One was obviously the Air India privatization, uh, right? A lot of debate about that, uh, but a lot of optimism as well. Uh, and then we had the unfortunate case of the Afghanistan mosque bombing, which killed over 46 people. Uh, we also had UK's reversal on the Indian India vaccine policy, right? Uh, then we're going to talk about the recent Kashmir insurgency, uh, then the global corporation tax deal, and closer home, of course, everything that's surrounding the whole uh, CWC meeting that's happening, uh, right, and the whole fracas with uh, Kapil Sibyl as well. So let's get started. And as usual, uh, talking about the episode we put out last week, uh, so this was a very interesting outlook into the future. Tracy follows uh, is a very fairly well-known um, futurist, as she calls herself. And she's hired by corporations and governments to kind of give them an outlook onto, you know, what is happening, what is going to be in the future and so on. So she spoke about systemic risks and innovation and things to that effect. Uh, Very macro level stuff. I mean, you could definitely check that out if you haven't already seen it. So the first piece of news, uh, well, Air India has been sold to the Tatas for rupees 18,000 crores. Uh, the government's Deepam secretary addressed a press conference uh, where they announced that the Tata's won the Air India bid. Tata Group will retain all the current employees of Air India for the first year, and the Air India brand and logo will have to be retained for five years thereafter. Uh, Tata won out bidding 18,000 crores, beating out SpiceJet's CMD Ajay Singh, who bid 15,100 crores. Out of the total money, at least 15% would go to the government, and the rest of the money will help clear the debt associated with the airline. Nirav, uh, we spoke about it last week as well, that it's a sort of a homecoming. And, um, you know, uh, Mr. Ratan Tata's uh, tweet summed it all up, right? I think it's a it's a historic moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, not only is it a historic moment that this airline has gone back to Tata's, I think it's a great moment for all of the aviation sector as well. Because earlier when you had like one uh, major player who's running infinite losses, uh, the other airlines also couldn't make any money because it's a competitive market. If someone is willing to lose as much as they can. So here, this kind of is not just good for Tata's, also good for the whole sector. Another thing of note is there's been a lot of fracas uh, uh, on social media about the valuation. So Air India has debt of 60,000 crores. And in the last 10 years, uh, they have been uh, injected with 
about 11,000 crores a year. So 1 lakh uh, 10,000 crores has been injected. So 11,000 crores a year is the loss that it was making. Uh, Tata considers that the economic value of the airline, uh, removing all the non-core, say, real estate assets, is about 18,000 crores. 15,000 crores is the debt that they will pay uh, the lenders. 3,000 crores is the cash injection that they've done, which the government is getting it. So the balance remains as uh, debt on the government's balance sheet, right? So while you say, oh, that why is the government taking all this debt? It's a uh, airline which was bankrupt, which was continuously bleeding money. Uh, you should be thinking that uh, if airline for the next 10 years, there would have been even more losses compared to the last 10. So this stops the bleed from the government. This is a better consumer experience for all people who fly in and out of India and within India, as well as it's good for the other players as well that there is a competitor who's making uh, decisions on an economic uh, standpoint rather than like political or like running loss uh, leading routes. So I think it's a fantastic thing all around and it's a great homecoming. So it goes the full circle back, uh, back to the Tata group. Yeah. Uh, Roshan, I think like uh, Nirav pointed out the aviation perspective, you know, I think the one uh, from a political economy perspective, okay, I think this is a very critical signaling yeah. uh, from the government actually. And I think I am pretty certain that, you know, in the next six months, we are going to see a series of disinvestments actually. Uh, uh, of course, this took like fairly long. I think there was a, the process started off in 2017. I think the first uh, uh, attempt to, uh, uh, at this disinvestment attempt didn't really go through, you know, because government still wanted to retain a part of the equity, actually, though they were willing to part with the majority ownership. But I think it's a very critical uh, signaling and also the uh, integrity of the process, you know, like uh, if you really look at the political economy considerations, especially in a country like India, where, you know, uh, uh, there is a very deeply rooted socialist narrative, you know, like uh, I think the uh, sacrosanct process had to be followed. And I think this might become a fairly repeatable template. So I am hoping that in the next six months, we are going to certainly see shipping corporation, container corporation of India, uh, and the biggest of them all, the BPCL. Yeah. And I think a couple of other power companies, one coal company in Odisha, two state-owned entities, those are also in the block. And I think this is going to be the, I mean, and if the government is going to really do it in the six to eight months. And in fact, I think the financial bills for shipping corporation, container corporation, BPCL, I think is just around the corner. Okay, so I think... I think we are going to see a frenzied activity in the disinvestment space and uh, a full credit to the government for actually, according to me, getting the political sequencing right. It's very critical yeah. that, you know, uh, uh, the, the term one was kind of loaded in favor of welfareism, I would call it. And then, you know, that that, that is very critical because you don't do things that your rose critics stereotype with as soon as you come to power. So you kind of, you know, build the political goodwill, credibility. And then, you know, you do the right things that, uh, of course, you know, there was a couple of months delay, but overall from a political economy perspective, I think it's a, a job well begun and hopefully they sustain the momentum. So that's my. Purpose. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Actually, that's a great point because I think from a policy perspective, all of us are experts, right? We all know what has to be done when, but uh, you know, weighing the political consequences of some of these things is so important. Yeah. Uh, I think when we, uh, you know, uh, during the episode uh, on Atal Bihari Vajpayeeji, uh, we had talked about uh, disinvestments and how that was like a bull in a China shop sort of an approach that time Correct. versus, versus fact, now, right? Uh, 
right in fact i think you bring in a critical point actually both on bpcl and r india uh, actually the vajpayee government failed in fact the bpcl disinvestment uh, went to the supreme court and supreme court said that you know this was actually nationalized by the uh, congress government under a nationalization law and unless you invoke i mean revoke these act you, you can't proceed with the bpcl and, and this fact you know taking the legislative rules virtually is like a death knell in india so yeah, after exactly. that bpcl no company ever got disinvested to to that extent yeah. when i say about the political sequencing uh, the modi government in 2017 quietly came up with an omnibus legislation where all these acts were put under one bucket called us uh, under the uh, you know ostentatious uh, reason saying that you know you need to repeal all old laws and this was repealed very smartly and very silently yeah. Yeah. under the radar which are very critical you know the like you said policy is one part you know the political smarts is as vital in uh, driving uh, agendas like this investment so that's my uh, uh, you know uh, yeah absolutely and i think even judging by you know some of the benchmarks that the critics of the government had uh, you know four or five years back of course they won't talk about it now but uh, even by those benchmarks i think the government has done a fantastic job right, right. so so yeah i mean hopefully you know more to follow uh, in some unfortunate news uh, last week an islamic state bomber has killed about 46 had killed about 46 people inside an afghanistan mosque um, so in its claim of responsibility the region's is affiliate identified the bomber as an uighur muslim uh, they also said that the attack targeted both shiites and the taliban for their purported willingness to ex- expel uighurs to meet demands from china uh, in the past the taliban has managed to contain the is threat in tandem with us and afghan air strikes without these it remains unclear whether the, whether the taliban can suppress a growing is footprint uh, prasanna there seems to be like no respite in afghanistan right and Uh, you know i mean with with this no, whole china uh, and taliban alliance sort of forming right now uh, we're going to see more of this i suppose unfortunately uh, see basically i think um, uh, and this, uh, afghanistan is like quite a nightmare for uh, even you know very seasoned geopolitical analyst uh, the, i think the group that you just as you like rightly pointed out that iskp i think Islamic state of Khorasan province i think they have claimed responsibility for bombing this mark uh, surprisingly uh, they are also um, you know swan enemies of taliban actually they they think taliban is not uh, uh, islamic yeah. fundamentalist enough you know quote unquote so you you kind of and i think that khorasan is like a, a region uh, where they want to establish the islamic state very similar to the nightmare that happened in syria Uh, between 2014 to 16 so they want to similarly do interestingly i think this khorasan region also covers a bit of uh, iran as well actually so i think it's kind of a historic uh, uh, regional imagination that has always existed so this group how uh, taliban is going to deal with this group is uh, uh, going to be quite uh, interesting and and i think like uh, i'm sure um, uh, i think one of the promises that uh, Uh, uh ccp in china has kind of you know extracted from taliban and given that taliban is virtually a pariah in the uh, you know the anglosphere world right now i mean though you know the western states can always be uh, counted to be pragmatic and they'll start engaging but currently you know they have funds blocked by us and all that so i think china is their immediate financial benefactor so as to speak you know so i think that 
uh, given the nature of this attack, I think like Taliban might have an incentive in uh, ruthlessly going after this uh, ISKP and suppressing them actually. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure how this entire thing is going to uh, eventually unfold actually. So, it's, I mean, yeah. uh, so that's the, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's pretty unfortunate actually. And, uh, you know, Professor Christine Fair keeps uh, talking about how the factions within themselves, right? Uh, so I think uh, Taliban and uh, Al-Qaeda is the old school, Diobandi sort of school of thought, whereas the, the IS guys are the neophytes, right? And uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty pretty uh, unfortunate, but I mean, I don't know how it will unravel actually. Yeah, so I there's think lots these, left uh, to be seen on I, that front. ISKP, I think, uh, draws ideological... Uh, inspiration more from the Salafi uh, school of yeah. Islam, like you say. So, you know, there is a lot of these uh, alphabet soup of uh, Islamic theological movements that, you know, you kind of um, uh, fail to understand because they're very, uh, you know, rooted in very complex uh, theological denominations. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and also I think this uh, ISKP is also less forgiving of, I mean, not the Taliban um, uh, uh, is any good, but actually they are even more brutal and harsh on the uh, minority sets, including Shias and, you know, uh, and all that stuff, actually. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be quite brutal is my uh, uh, feeling. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on from this, uh, in more global news, the UK has removed mandatory quarantine for vaccinated Indians after India's reciprocal measures. Uh, taking a U-turn on its travel policy, the UK government has permitted Indian travellers to visit the UK from October 11th, 4am onwards. It has been announced that the fully vaccinated individuals with Covishield vaccine will be treated the same as the returning fully vaccinated UK residents. Only seven countries, including South Africa, have been put on the restraining red list as of now. Passengers from all other countries or regions have been permitted to travel. So, Nirav looks like our tit for tat sort of worked, right? And uh, uh, but I mean, there seems to be a debate on that front also, uh, as usual on Twitter. So, what can you tell us about this? Yeah. So, one thing is, I think UK is already moving ahead, uh, treating like COVID as endemic, and they are kind of opening up to most of the world, right? Uh, second thing is, uh, UK looks at India as an ally in more ways than one. Post Brexit, uh, they want to be more involved with the Commonwealth. There is a trade deal being worked on with India. Uh, Y'all have talked a lot about it uh, with conservative friends of the Commonwealth. So I think they look at India as an ally. I think earlier that they were discriminating against uh, AstraZeneca vaccine made in India was AstraZeneca made in Europe or the UK. Uh, As well as there were some initial concerns about uh, people who are COVID positive but were getting like fake COVID negative certificates on flights when they boarded when the Delta variant was at the peak. So I think there's a little bit of that. Uh, there's a lot of concern about uh, possibly faking the vaccine certificates from India, but which are like with a QR code, so actually machine readable, I think. Correct. So those uh, those issues have been ironed out. India did a tit for tat. I think India is also learning that now as India's economy, GDP is growing, as well as world needs uh, probably a China plus one strategy. So India is also throwing its heft around. I think for Indian geopolitics, the best case study always uh, should be the BCCI and how it is uh, flexing its muscles and getting things what it wants in the world of cricket. Uh, Similarly, India is kind of, so maybe it's a tit-for-tat strategy, maybe it's broader UK opening up as well, but it's a positive. There are a lot of Indian students who 
uh, go for higher education in in the UK. Uh, there are a lot of Indians who are working and living in the US. There are a lot of uh, British citizens uh, who have family in India. So that resumes travel between the two countries, and uh, it's a very positive sign. And hopefully, we get the trade deal signed soon as well in this sign of cooperation. Right. Yeah, uh, but also people are not used to <laughs> not used to us negotiating from a position of strength, right? Yes. I mean, I think uh, yeah. 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 one point actually, uh, I think Neera summarized about. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I, I would I would assume that you know Britain, especially the conservative conservative party in the government, their policies would not be essentially uh, driven by any uh, paternalistic approach or some kind of you know old uh, racist notions. In fact, I think like I would. i would be little um, guarded in saying that this policy was driven by racism i mean like there was a fantastic article in swarajya which even uh, uh, you know enlightened me to a considerable extent uh, where the uh, author said that you know don't attribute to malice what you could attribute to incompetence actually so i think this is more a bureaucratic um, overkill by the british bureaucratic uh, establishment there is a political leadership part which kind of understands probably the things that nirav um, uh, underlined you know in terms of uh, beneficial trade relationship and all that stuff but i think that much like india i think there is also a complex bureaucracy in uh, uh, uk because uh, uh, suraj actually went through the document of the uk uh, in terms of you know the multi country rules and regulations i think it was purely a nightmarish uh, bureaucratic exercise okay like for example you know like uh, multiple vaccines i think they had one matrix of country versus vaccine versus uh, uh, you know and it kind of gives different permutation combination and simply unenforceable also so i think like uh, see see of course i'm sure there is a section of british elite which is still uh, rooted in uh, uh, playing the messiah to third world countries like india and all that stuff but i think this was possibly a case of very poor a uh, bureaucratic um, uh, over overreach and i think like probably our diplomatic uh, establishment played it well behind the scenes and you know it's basically correcting the uh, you know the bureaucratic overkill in terms of the rules so i think like maybe the racism part might be slightly overstated but i mean you know it's always good to uh, express uh, uh, the opinions but i think like i would attribute it to more the bureaucratic overkill than any uh, you know uh, immediate application of you know old racist notions or something like that that's my answer. yeah yeah so it's just down to good old uh, sir humphrey basically <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, close a home uh, we had some unfortunate news uh, five civilians have been killed by terrorists in kashmir over the last week uh, the terrorists killed uh, pharmacist makanlal bindru and teacher deepak chand among others after identifying them as non muslims fear has gripped kashmir's minority communities and several families from these communities have even temporarily shifted out to safer locations rumors that terrorists have drawn up a hit list and many more could be targeted or causing widespread panic so prasanna we've had the exodus of 1990 right this uh, eerily sort of resembles a, a version of that right i mean so what do you think we should do see i think uh, uh, i think the terror groups might be possibly emboldened with uh, some of the uh, you know happenings that in afghanistan with you know the uh, humiliating exit of us and you know like uh, ultimately the, the 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 afghanistan situation is also seen as a 
victory of the Pakistan uh, deep state. So, you know, probably to that extent, uh, the terror groups in uh, Pakistan, I mean, in uh, operating in Kashmir might have been emboldened, but I, I would think that, you know, uh, uh, say, I mean, comparing it to probably 90s, uh, over the last 30 years, I think Indian state is also uh, stronger, more robust. And, um, you know, and the local Kashmiri political leadership, which is always borders on, uh, you know, it, it, soft secessionist leadership, you know, kind of is also smarting under the uh, uh, repeal of Article uh, 370. So uh, I would think that, you know, I hope hope that this is just a, uh, you know, one-off uh, security uh, situation and uh, Indian forces and the Indian state would be able to kind of uh, manage it. Uh, eventually without, you know, any um, throwback to the 90s, actually. So uh, I think the uh, the sudden spurt or this two, three uh, incidents after uh, coming after a long lull, I think is just probably related to the recent uh, geopolitical situation. Uh, let's see how it unfolds, actually. Do you think the demographic will shift that much, though? I mean... <laughs> No, uh, uh, very tough. tough. See, ultimately, you know, uh, India, Indian state, you know, like uh, uh, has to, um, can't really do the kind of demographic engineering that say an authoritarian state, like uh, say what China does in uh, 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 the various provinces. Yeah, various provinces, like, you know, they get a, a lot of hands settled both in Tibet and Zinwa and all that. So uh, Indian state can't do that actually, you know, like uh, it, it needs the, the, the democratic uh, political setup, you know, uh, which is imposes certain natural uh, restrictions on very, uh, uh, you know, these kind of radical uh, solutions, which, which I have some sympathies at some level, but you know, you also need to look at uh, the pragmatism of this uh, and the implementation uh, uh, possibilities of such solution actually, you know, so yeah. I think like, uh, I think the uh, approach would be more, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, oriented towards possibly, uh, you know, expanding the economic pie in Kashmir and, you know, eventually, uh, uh, you know, uh, look at uh, uh, economy driven uh, solution with state uh, power as well, actually. So, you know, that's going to be the approach. So I don't think so. India is ever going to really look at uh, uh, you know, radical demographic alteration type of a solution, actually. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. And I think probably it will be more tactically solved, right? Correct. So, Correct. a landmark uh, global corporate tax deal has been agreed upon. A group of 136 countries on Friday set a minimal global tax rate of 15% for big companies and sought to make it harder for them to avoid taxation in a landmark deal. India also had qualms up to the last minute, but ultimately backed the deal. The deal aims to stop large firms booking profits in low-tax countries such as Ireland, regardless of where their clients are. Reportedly, the deal would cover 90% of the global economy. The minimum rate would see countries collect around $150 billion in new revenues annually. Nirav, this, uh, I think we've, spoken, we've alluded to in the past, right, about how Google, Facebook, and all of these folks uh, uh, do some of this and how they might come into the ambit. So this, what, do you, what are your thoughts? So I think one thing is, uh, you look at like what has happened in COVID where like the governments have spent a lot of money and their tax revenues have collapsed. 
So they are looking at ways and like trying to plug loopholes. Uh, second thing is, especially big tech, but like a lot of companies also do a lot of tax arbitrage where uh, for like, especially for the internet companies, all our taxation laws are much more rooted for like older manufacturing uh, goods, right? So for services, uh, if there are ad clicks and those that revenue is coming in, is it coming in via Ireland if you click in the UK or not? Uh, also for like a lot of companies uh, have been doing things like transfer pricing where you have a trading arm of a company which uh, buys and sells goods to final consumer probably which is in a higher tax jurisdiction, right? So uh, yes, so this actually saw had seen uh, tax arbitrage had seen uh, Ireland specifically, but there are a lot of other uh, low tax havens. Uh, I live in one, Singapore is one, Hong Kong is one. Uh, uh, you have a lot of the British Virgin Islands and Bahamas. So a few of these places had a lot of regional uh, uh, multinational companies headquartered and they were companies were trying to avoid tax. So this deal basically makes it that uh, minimum 15% corporate tax is paid. Uh, either in the home jurisdiction or where the sale is made. Uh, this basically by excluding small companies that got a lot of uh, countries such as Ireland, even India into the ambit. So I think that's a positive. I think it's a good thing. Uh, you saw like a lot of people were avoiding taxes uh, and this kind of helps the companies. Uh, this leads to probably uh, not having to raise uh, income tax, personal income tax on people. So it is a positive. Maybe it's a negative for a few companies. Maybe it's a negative for a few specific countries. But on the whole, overall, I think it's a very good deal and uh, probably reduces the power of the global big tech. Or maybe their shares might fall. But yeah, that's about it. Uh, Neeral, uh, I just want to ask you this actually. I'm just asking it from a I completely agree with you that, you know, very, uh, uh, all this uh, big tech uh, companies, and I think this is essentially targeted at uh, big tech and other firms which do very smart uh, financial engineering and go to low tax jurisdictions and all that. But, but you know, from when, when they, as they see when the rubber hits the road, so as to speak. So let's say this corporate tax comes in. Um, uh, invariably, you know, companies uh, would look at uh, say profit maximization, which is which is their objective. So maybe maybe because of the increase in corporate tax, whatever uh, share buybacks that they do uh, might come down and all that. But do you think like there will be other unintended consequences? Like I say, uh, say for from a compression of workers' wages and already you you see right, uh, capital is in abundance and labor is almost squeezed uh, everywhere in the world. You know, like so. When there, are, when you kind of raise this uh, corporate tax, and and this is very clear that this money U.S. needs for uh, funding all its big bills that uh, welfare and your infrastructure and all that. Okay, so uh, you, I mean, what could be the unintended consequence? Actually, that's what is my. So thought. I think, I think the unintended consequence probably, like as you mentioned, right? So companies will look at like if I'm paying a little bit more here, where can I cut down on? Uh, right now, probably uh, even it's very tough to hire workers uh, post-COVID. So maybe that doesn't happen immediately. Maybe it happens in the longer run. Maybe the bigger shareholders uh, kind of, uh, uh, if say stock prices fall by like a few percent, it has like a side wealth effect where you say, oh, I'm not as rich as I was before. 
probably but i think at the margin uh, i think the bigger effect will be for small tax havens where they'll have to see that there is some value addition there and uh, they will have to reject their business model or the government has to think about how are they going to finance their spending so probably they will have to rethink for a big country like india it's actually a very big positive positive right. uh, similar to uh, you have people lot of indian companies who are either importing or exporting they have like a trading subsidiary set up in singapore or dubai or elsewhere correct or mauritius so some of the tax was being avoided maybe some of it comes back so correct. yeah uh, let's wait and watch wonderful wonderful okay. over the last uh, 15 20 years right i mean if you look at what's happened i mean people hire developers in one place recognize users in another place recognize revenue in another place and pay taxes in some other place right i mean i think this is sort of a global alliance to say okay i mean let's catch this bs or whatever it is right and let's extract our pound of flesh i mean it will obviously have both positive and negative consequences i would say right but uh, it was long coming i feel right to round things off uh, congress seems to be stuck in a downward spiral uh, the Cong- congress party leadership has decided to convene a meeting of the congress working committee next week and uh, this comes amid fresh turmoil and sparring by leaders in punjab and chatisgarh Uh, they are expected to bring up the issue of election for the post of congress president to replace interim president sonia gandhi over a week ago senior congress leader kapil sibal had publicly criticized the leadership over the continuing drift in the party so prasanna we often keep bringing up this whole drift and the fact that you know it will probably break up and so on and so forth but that seems to be a never ending saga right i mean what do you see happening yeah, i don't know i think see i think like there is uh, no reason for the existence of Cong- congress party beyond the gandhis actually i mean i'm not i mean i'm making it like a value neutral kind of a statement okay it's not like uh, see if if at all the gandhis are not in the scene uh, see basically congress essentially doesn't uh, represent any Uh, coherent ideological worldview like say bjp or to some extent the communist or something like that you know it's it's just a um, grand collection of various satraps and individuals who have been kept uh, uh, in power uh, through the charisma of the nehru gandhi uh, dynasty okay so so i don't know like uh, uh, even uh, see all this uh, uh, so called uh, trouble or dissidents against this g23 25 27 whatever the number that they, the media keeps attributing i think all these are according to me storm in the teacup so it's eventually the gandhis uh, who would who would be at the helm of affairs as far as congress goes at least in its uh, uh, in the foreseeable future at least you know see and also uh, in my book uh politics is kind of cyclical okay like 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 if at all uh, especially you know in this particular term of mr modi uh, since they are doing much more they are pursuing a much more ambitious agenda in terms of economics to, i mean early part of the tenure had very uh, uh, you know ambitious agenda in terms of you know you had the temple uh, uh, judgment then you had the citizenship amendment then the last one year has been very Uh, ambitious on the economic reforms i expect that there will be a lot of uh, uh, discontent because there are a lot of vested interest entrenched interest who are getting uh, affected by some of this uh, moves you know like let's be very honest about it like uh, uh, there is a very narrow group of narrow section of farmers who are uh, 
affected by the farm laws actually you know the elitist uh, farmers who uh, uh, especially from a, a certain socio geographic region let me put it that way uh, so they will have a far more greater motivation to uh, collectivize and agitize rather than say millions of farmers who will be benefited by it but usually people who are benefited by it they don't mobilize and uh, demonstrate i think like they might express the support through a uh, election or something like that uh, so you know so this discontent i personally feel that the only political party that is in a position uh, just because of the historic uh, brand and also the fact that you know uh, it is it is you like it or not a default uh, political poll in the country and it is i mean politically it might be castrated now it might be completely uh, uh, clueless and all that but it is also a party that is um, it has a whole sort of ecosystem around it you know from media from uh, uh, academia you have intellectuals you have ngos so you have even businesses some businesses let's be honest about it so it's congress is just not like a 45 seat political force you know it represents the entrenched interest of a whole uh, lobby so i don't i don't really see all these uh, uh, you know factional fights in individual states being uh, uh, you know really uh, uh, you know there are some structural electoral uh, related challenges for congress you know i think even in 2004 2009 congress's victory was like very limited actually it's more a, a, a type of arithmetic rather than any victory of any grand messaging or a positive vote for the party it was it was just a 2004 certainly was 2009 i think was slightly better but they've been around and uh, i think i think it we are in for an interesting time i wouldn't really uh, look at congress from a uh you know last two weeks what happened and then write them off because i think they are backed by uh you know quote unquote very sinister local and global forces so they are here to stay according to me actually so i mean uh, uh you can't really just go by factional feuds and petty intrigues and you know heightened media reportage i think we should take a fairly broader long term perspective actually right so i'm tempted to ask a follow up actually yeah. <laughs> which is that you know will we ever see a non gandhi sort of a front for the congress uh, emerging and uh, it was there no even in 2004 9 from a uh, from a purely a prime minister was from, from not a, from the that, but that was very nominal right i mean nominal. as an, yeah, nominal. Yeah. that's why i said you know like save the optics like uh, see the powerful operators behind the uh, uh, see congress is a kind of an uh alternate idea of india at this point of time which which is which has been traditionally just because of the sheer number of years that has it has ruled the country it has spawned a huge system of uh i would not say common people who have benefited but a lot of people in position of power influence in various fields directly linked to the party either financially or uh, personal loyalty and all that okay so they're not going to go away so uh, yeah. uh, easily actually you know that's yeah. my uh, perspective i could be wrong and uh, i think the revival has to be uh, led by the uh, uh, gandhi family only you know maybe uh, from a tactical perspective they could front end uh, someone else who's more palatable because gandhi family is has a baggage uh, uh, in the sense they are polarizing from a perspective of people know like what uh, i mean uh, associate a lot of uh, india's 
troubled history with them and all that stuff. So to that extent, tactically they might retreat, but I think uh, whatever be the situation, Congress uh, is uh, is just an extended uh, what do you call? It has to be the Gandhi led. Actually, let me put it that way. Right. Yeah, I think social media has done you know uh, a lot of damage to the Gandhi brand itself. Right. I mean. uh so so yeah it will be interesting times for sure and i think uh, yeah, i think we should no 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 i i don't agree that social media has done a brand, right? see they've been there for the 70 years so you know the uh, the, the the legacy is there for all, all to see maybe social yeah. media kind of helped in some kind of amplification and challenging uh, conventional uh, understanding about the gandhi family so i don't think so uh you know uh, uh, gandhi family is liked or despised by the uh, Uh, just because of social media and i think they have also of that social media game let's not uh, really i mean mm. people honestly believe like even in our india i was very surprised that people actually believe that nehru built that airline brand with his hard work and tomorrow when bpcl goes again that narrative that lot of people will not know that these are private energy companies overnight nationalized by the congress party but there will be enough people in the country who continue to believe that you know this were energy companies were built by black sweat and toil of whatever the babus and the gandhis and all that stuff so you know like social media is a, i would i would just put it it has a limited place but we, let's not give it too much credit either for right <laughs> no no for sure i think uh, your point in terms of like the congress ecosystem being the establishment and the elite right it, it holds obviously right i mean 70 years of legacy you know it cannot be undone in about 7 8 years well, of I, uh, i think now actually to be honest they're operating at a different uh, uh, sphere according to me like for example you know probably we might think that like some of these uh, media academic elite uh, they are operating in india and despite the two elections uh, say bjp won with a sweeping majority so they really don't matter actually it's not really true okay they are plays at the global level like if you really look at uh say like india is a rising power there is always an opportunity cost to challenge entrenched narratives you know like like you uh, communalize a very uh, uh you know a, a very localized incident and make it like a reflection of the entire nation and you go across uh, and this uh, issue gets amplified in all the global media and all that it makes it very difficult for india to uh assert its uh, you know what it essentially stands for what are its economic aspirations so the cost of doing diplomacy for india you know the uh, image is critical for countries in the global space okay but i think they've this time around they've clearly identified that uh, you know the battle is at the global stage you know so if you look at all the economist washington post new york post i mean i think there's never been a 24 months where there has been so much reform agenda that all these Uh, publications perpetually advocated for but you never see anything copiously written about it but you just see the heightened focus only on social fracas like even in their own own countries in their own backyard there are so many uh, such localized episodes happening anyway you can't really paint the country as good or bad based on yeah. all those incidents right so i think they're really operating at a very cleverly at a very global level and i think Uh, i think there's serious trouble ahead actually unless that might be strategically countered actually you know uh, that's right. my uh, perspective yeah right. yeah that's uh, rather interesting mm-hmm. so plenty left to uncover on that subject maybe i mean we should do a separate podcast uh, in itself and hopefully we'll have prasanna back to you know uh, lend us his perspective on that 
so that's a wrap from us uh, so next week we have a couple of very interesting uh, episodes uh, so we actually intended to record the uh, uh, the us india relations episode last week but uh, you know uh, due to some unavoidable circumstances it has been pushed uh, we did an india us uh, podcast uh, sometime back with uh, with the same sort of people in fact uh, with uh, sunanda vashish ji with ashish and uh, uh, abhishek and uh, you know a lot of surprises from what we said then to what has happened now right uh, both positive and negative i would say right and uh, also i mean the new roles policy is uh, pretty remarkable actually from um, you know in 2014 2015 to uh, where we actually banned drones to now saying that you know drones can actually enable order of uh, magnitude innovation right in various spheres of uh, the economy uh, it's a fantastic fantastic uh, primer on uh, this do check it out uh, of course uh, we've had professor uh, professor karandikar on many different uh, uh, other technological sub- subjects like blockchain and so on earlier and vipul singh is a very very uh, you know uh, smart young entrepreneur uh, spoken to him on a different podcast Uh, so couple of really really good episodes coming up do check it out all right folks uh, so that's it from us uh, thank you so much for joining us prasanna this was uh, this was fun and we should have you back sometime sure thank you so much neeral thank you so much roshan you know always uh, just love being in the show and uh, and thank you for all the time actually much appreciated thank you so much yeah thanks so much neerav and uh, hope to have you back as well thank you so much guys uh, do take care enjoy navratri uh, stay safe take care and jai hind thank you